Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your weekly fix of all the latest breaking royal news right here on Mail Plus. I'm Jo Elvin, your host, and joining me today on the show will be the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, the Saturday Diary editor, Richard Eden, and royal biographer, Angela Levin. And we have got a packed show. Here's what's coming up. TV tell-alls. Penny Juna takes a look at the history of the royals sitting down to dish the dirt. And in the run-up to Harry and Meghan's date with Oprah, more details have emerged accusing the Duchess of bullying her staff. And from royal carriages to an open-topped bus, we take a look at Prince Harry's toe-curling tour of LA with James Corden. But first, let's update you on what's going on with the Duke of Edinburgh, who has now been in hospital for a fortnight. The Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, is with us now. Rebecca, what is the latest on Philip's condition? Possibly slightly better. Buckingham Palace have just confirmed that on Wednesday he underwent a procedure um, for that surgery uh, to do with an underlying heart condition uh, where he is at St Bart's at the moment. Now, obviously, you probably remember that he underwent uh, heart surgery a few years ago to have a stent inserted in his artery. So we can you know, possibly presume it was something to do with that. Um, he will definitely be staying in hospital for a few more days for rest and recuperation. But we've also had the Duchess of Cornwall saying yesterday that he seems to be improving slightly. So maybe things are looking slightly on the up. And he moved hospitals this week, is that right? Palace confirmed that he was moved from the private King Edward VII Hospital in London to the nearby St Bart's. And St Bart's is a centre for cardiac excellence. So he is in very much the best of hands. And they confirmed that he was still being treated for an infection, but, but also these heart problems as well. So I noticed that the Queen has been continuing with her engagements. Does that indicate that actually he's not in that much of a state? I take it as a sign that she's an absolute pro. Um, you know, for, for her, um, she's head of state and those duties must come first. And we had the amazing sight of, as her husband was being transferred hospitals, she was recording her first virtual um, uh, statue unveiling uh, with a team of people in Australia, you know, smiling and laughing and making jokes about the time. I mean, you know, as someone, as someone messaged me on WhatsApp, they went, she really is the boss, isn't she? So there's always an argument for keeping busy, isn't there, when, when you've got things to worry about? Absolutely. I mean, and also don't forget, you know, the, the Queen and Philip have spent large portions of their marriage apart. It's not like they've lived in each other's pockets, but obviously she's going to be worried about him and he's being kept, you know, updated uh, daily. But as I say, you know, she is a woman that, that duty runs through her, you know, like a stick of rock. You know, she, she, she would never let anything personal get in the way of what she believes is her duties as head of state. And of course, we will bring you any further developments of Prince Philip's condition right here on Mail Plus. And that's it. That's all that's happening in Royal News this week, right? Nothing else to talk about. Nothing to see here. Obviously, I'm kidding. We will be discussing Harry and Meghan's great date with Oprah Winfrey very shortly today. But first, we asked Penny Juna to have a look over the history of royal tell-alls and TV interviews from... 
the fascinating to the outright controversial. The first member of the family to do one of these big sit-down interviews was actually Prince Philip. And that was in 1969 for a, for a programme called Meet the Press. He spoke, interestingly, about a lot of things. But during the course of it, he said that the royal family were not really terribly well off. And that one day he was going to have to give up polo. Not many people play polo for a start. It is a rich man's game. Uh, the idea that the royal family are hard up is laughable. So he, he slightly shot himself in the foot with this interview. The next person to sit down for a big interview was probably Princess Anne. In 1974, she went on the Michael Parkinson show, a chat show, very popular chat show. And she was absolutely marvellous because she talked about the kidnap attempt on her and how this man had tried to drag her out of the back of, a, back of the car and how she'd stood her ground and he'd ripped her dress. And it was, it was fantastic television. And she came across as such a funny woman. It did her a power of good. There were two hugely memorable interviews that took place in the 90s. One was Prince Charles being interviewed by Jonathan Dimbleby, and the other one was Diana being interviewed by Martin Bashir for Panorama. Prince Charles did his first. That was in 1994. And the reason for the interview was not to hit back at Diana, as some people might have thought. It was to mark 25 years as Prince of Wales. And so for 90 minutes, Jonathan Dimbleby talked to him and showed wonderful examples of the work that he'd done in the last 25 years. And from that point of view, it was a hugely successful interview. But Jonathan Dimbleby had to ask the question about the marriage, because it was all that people really wanted to know. Had Charles been unfaithful to Diana? Now, Charles knew the question was coming, and he did tell the truth, which was, Yes, but only after the marriage had irretrievably broken down, us both having tried. But of course, nobody heard the second sentence. All they heard was that he had been unfaithful to his wife. Diana's interview with Martin Bashir was rather more complicated. Martin Bashir, we more recently discovered, actually used duplicitous methods to persuade Diana to give him that interview. Her head was down in the way she always held it. Tears threatened to run down her cheek uh, as she talked about the three of them in the marriage and how it was a bit crowded, how there had never been any chance of happiness for her. She also was asked whether Charles should be king. And she said that she, well, she cast doubt on it. Afterwards, Diana realised that it had not actually been such a clever move. It had been very hurtful to her boys because he, she did talk about uh, Charles not being a good father. Um, and of course, it was, it was terrible for the royal family. A series of interviews that were less well known during the 1990s were those that Sarah Ferguson gave to Oprah Winfrey. Uh, she was very, very short of money. And she was very enterprising. She went across to America and she sort of reinvented herself over there. I think on balance, she came out actually very well from them. It was quite fun and I don't think it did any damage at all. 
We had to wait a long time for the next big, juicy, disastrous interview. But it came in 2019 when Prince Andrew decided to sit down with Emily Maitlis. And she was talking to him about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. He came across as self-important, arrogant, um, entitled, and he showed not one iota of pity or empathy for the girls who had been abused by Jeffrey Epstein. All of these family members work effectively for the family firm, and the Queen is effectively chief executive of that firm. She perhaps, arguably, ought to know before these interviews take place, because there is a risk attached to every, every interview. Meghan and Harry, to a lesser extent, sitting down with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, this is one of the most puzzling of all interviews. I suspect that their motivation in doing this interview is partly to justify themselves, justify their behavior, and get some sympathy and approval from particularly American audiences. But I also suspect that this is a calling card for them. This couple have always wanted to control the media, to be in charge. And I think maybe they think that with Oprah, they will be in charge. But first and foremost, she's a journalist. You know, she is absolutely top of the game and she gets things out of people and she will get things out of these two. And I don't think they will be a match for her. Penny Juno there, and as Penny says, Harry and Meghan's interview with Oprah Winfrey is bound to be a gripping must watch. And it comes amid a fresh investigation being launched by the palace into allegations that Meghan bullied staff during her time there. With all of that going on, there was a new trailer released for the Oprah interview by CBS. Let's take a look at that now. How do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today? I don't know how they could expect that after all of this time, we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us. And if that comes with risk of losing things, I mean, I've there's a lot that's been lost already. Well, let's get the views from our panel now. Rebecca, what do you make of all of this latest development? I mean, the video clip that has been released overnight by CBS ahead of the interview with Oprah that's going to be aired on Sunday is truly extraordinary. I mean, we're already hearing reports of, you know, palace staff joking they needed to hide behind the sofa. Um, but the gloves are well and truly off. I mean, Meghan makes very clear in this clip that she believes that uh, there was an orchestrated um, smear campaign, a campaign of lies, I think she said, against her by Buckingham Palace, by the firm, she says. And the firm, of course, we refer to as the royal family. Um, and when it's put to her, look, you know, do you think by saying these things you you might effectively burning bridges and and she says well i think a lot's been lost already i mean it's you know it truly is going to be windsor versus windsor on sunday night my gosh um and angela this isn't the first time that harry's talked about his mother and the media and and the connection that's really seared into his brain on that is it no he, he he's done it quite a lot actually he um, accused uh, the, the press very much about his mother when she and Charles split. 
and um, she stopped having all the protection officers that would have looked after her. So the paparazzi and journalists would crowd around the car and she would burst into tears. And Harry said that, you know, it's outrageous what they've been doing. Um, and she tried to struggle by turning Enya, it's a uh, Irish singer, on very, very loud. And they all tried to sing it all the way through until they could get away from the paparazzi. And then of course he was um, an unprecedented complaint about them in November 2016 about how they were treating Meghan. The, um, the fact that they were a couple was now publicized and um, he said it was utterly disgusting. And, um, you know, in other words, did they want to get rid of her? And they were sexist and racist. Those two things have gone all the way through these, all these years. And that um, he didn't want what happened to his mother to happen to her. And there are several other ways that he, he's dis, disliked them. When I went to see him in Kensington Palace, I said, you know, I know he doesn't like journalists, but, um, you know, how hard would it be to talk to him by myself? And they said, no, he hates them all, basically, but he does beginning to realise that one or two might be okay. And I think that's been his view for a very long time. Richard, I thought it was extraordinary that the first clip was largely Oprah's facial expressions and reactions and not really much, well, no words from Megan at all. What do you make of that? Well, remember that in this interview, there's three people and there's no doubt who the most famous and the most popular and the most successful is, and that's Oprah. So what we saw was Oprah's you know, reactions and her billing this as the, the most amazing thing she'd heard. And it was very much that you know, Oprah is the star and that she's allowed these two onto her show, essentially. And remember that they've courted her much more than she's courted them. So I think they're sort of basking in reflected glory of, of Oprah. But of course, then in the second clip, which was released um, today on Thursday, we've seen Meghan speaking and, you know, my goodness, she did have something to say. I mean, you know, accusing the firm, which, you know, I've heard, you know, it's really an affectionate term to the royal family. It doesn't refer to Buckingham Palace or the royal household. It really is the family. So accusing the family of peddling falsehoods, you know, really is provocative stuff. Mm. Um, how much credibility do you think that has, Rebecca, that, you know, there was this calculated campaign against her? Well, I mean, the palace say, and I, I, I do believe on this, very little credibility at all. Um, as someone said to me yesterday, there is more going on in the world, and by that they mean the pandemic, but also the Duke of Edinburgh in hospital, you know, for us to worry about, than this kind of circus around a media interview. And they were really deeply, deeply offended by her suggestion um, via a spokesman that the royal family have been kind of peddling a smear campaign against her, um, particularly in reference to the allegations of, of bullying. It was like, well, why would we do that? Um, you know, we don't need this. We really, really don't need this. So they, they're really deeply offended by some of the accusations that she's made. Um, and obviously we may only have seen the, the tip of the iceberg of the accusations that she's likely to make. So Rebecca, the Palace have now, of course, launched this investigation into the bullying claims alleged against Meghan. What, what can you tell us about this? 
this was extraordinary last night and unprecedented. So as kind of, I'm sure anyone watching this programme with half an interest in the royal family will know, um, the Times newspaper published some very strong allegations uh, this week about the Duchess of Sussex and allegations that she um, took part in workplace bullying of people um, that were employed by her and Harry. And obviously uh, she very strongly denies those um, accusations, but in doing so, she accused Buckingham Palace of orchestrating um, these allegations as part of the kind of, as she says, peddling a smear campaign against her. Um, you know, the palace, I think, didn't want to react at first, but eventually they, they felt they had no choice. And these are really serious allegations made by a very, very senior aide who used to work for her, who, who says effectively he was trying to protect uh, more junior members of staff. So the palace last night announced um, that they would be launching a probe into these allegations and how they were handled back in 2018, because one of the claims is that, you know, although concerns was raised, nothing was done about it. Um, I mean, it's quite extraordinary. The Queen is launching uh, an internal bullying investigation by members of her own family. But I think, you know, these things are taken so seriously, they have no choice but to do so. Mm. Uh, Richard, Rebecca mentioned that Meghan denying these claims, but actually um, the statement released by her legal team doesn't explicitly carry a denial. Well, what, what's your reading of that? It's really fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I think um, one of the most important things to bear in mind is that this story in the Times comes from royal officials. They made that clear. And the man whose emails were reported was Jason Knauf, who was communications secretary to Harry and Meghan, as well as um, William and Kate. Well, now he is the head of William and Kate's charitable foundation. So there's no question in my mind that um, he would have gone public with this without the um, acquiescence, the agreement really, of William and Kate. So, you know, it's, it's a really um, big deal. It's not just sort of disgruntled officials. It really, I, I think, is William and Kate as well, who've done, done so much um, against bullying and this sort of thing, that they take it very seriously too. Mm. So the, the whole thing is, is quite shocking, really. Angela, I mean, this is being more gripping to me than anything that EastEnders has had going on for quite some time. Is it, it feels a bit tit for tat, doesn't it? Is this in danger of just all becoming a bit, you know, sort of like petty and fueling the fire and in a, in a way that actually is, you know, proves Megan's point? Well, um, as Rebecca says, I mean, the seriousness of it and the non-stop um, accusations have to be addressed. I mean, the Queen, we know her favourite motto is don't explain, don't complain. But there comes a time now, especially in this world where there's so much media to take all these stories on, you have to actually come out and, and say something. And they've got the right to um, have a voice. I mean, Megan's argued that she didn't have a voice within the royal family. Of course she did, because the Queen chose lots of engagements for her and patronages were right up her street, theatre, women's rights, uh, poverty amongst children, all these things. So she was speaking at them all the time and actually often spoke when she and Harry went out instead of Harry, when she was very new to the royal family. So she's had a voice, but it wasn't strong enough for her. 
and she wants a voice. Well, then the, the royal family and those involved in it must have a voice too. Mm. Um, Richard, the most recent clip has Meghan talking about the palace perpetuating falsehoods. I mean, but this was well recorded before this bullying investigation was even discussed. So what, what, who's right? What do you think about all of this? Well, I broke the first story. The first hint of this really was a story that I ran in my column about the um, about Megan's um, personal assistant, just named then as Melissa, quitting her job suddenly after six months. And what was so extraordinary about it is when I put in the calls um, to the palace, they issued this statement. They, they wanted it to go on the record as being from a palace source, making clear how valued Melissa had been as a member of staff and the key role she'd played in the build-up to the royal wedding, which, as we all know, was a very stressful time. And what I took at the time um, from that was that there was very strong feelings about her departure and that people were unhappy about it. And that mm. really, you know, is coming out now that um, she seems to be mentioned as one of the cases of people that were driven out. And then we had a succession of stories about other members of staff who didn't stay long. Um, you know, we're hearing now there's a very different version of events um, from Harry and Meghan. And they seem to feel that, you know, they weren't being supported. And, you know, in the case of the press office, they were taking the side of staff members rather than them. It seemed to be very much sort of us against them mentality. Well, with so much build up to that Oprah interview, nobody saw this little TV treat coming. Prince Harry appearing on James Corden's The Late Late Show in the US. There was bus riding, there was tea drinking, there was swearing, there was spitting. There was a loo break at a stranger's house. Let's take a look. Who lives in there, James? Henry Winkler. Who? Henry Winkler. <laughs> I guess the other four points are a good idea. <laughs> it's such a monumental decision to have walked away from the royal family. Why did you feel that that was necessary and the right thing to do for you and your family? It was never. It was never walking away. It was, it was stepping back rather than stepping down. Right. Um, you know, it was a really difficult environment, as I think a lot of people saw. We all know what the British press can be like. And it was destroying my mental health. I was really? like, this is toxic. Yeah. So I did what any husband and what any father would do, is like, I need to get my family out of here. But we never walked away. And as far as I'm concerned, whatever decisions are made on that side, I will never walk away. I will always be contributing, but my life is public service. So wherever I am in the world, it's going to be the same thing. Richard Eden, coming to you first. Did you enjoy that bus top ride? What do you make of it all? <laughs> I must admit, I quite enjoyed it. You know, I sat down with my wife watching it and I, I thought it was, um, you know, it's back to sort of Prince Harry at, at his best, really relaxed, joking, found it quite amusing. I like James Corden. I think he's a great, you know, light entertainer. And it reminded me of the episodes we've seen in the past with, you know, Prince Harry pretending to race Usain Bolt and um, joking around with James Corden and sport relief promotions, things like that. But I must admit then later, as I remembered some of the incidents in this um, 15 minute episode, God, I did cringe, I really did. I mean, some of them where they were talking about, you know, visiting this, um, the loo and asking to go to the toilet and with, you know, Harry looking out of the toilet window and stuff. 
I was awful. And then <laughs> I just sort of left with the feeling, my goodness, they've only been in California for a year. And already he's doing light entertainment, making, telling anecdotes about what presents the Queen's bought for Archie. I mean, it really does show that his, you know, what he's got to sell is his royal connections. The whole thing was making fun of him being a prince. So, you know, all this with Oprah and all this antagonism, it's just, it seems to be crazy to be sort of cutting off his nose to spite his face. Rebecca, presumably he would never have, you know, been permitted to do that kind of an interview as part, as officially part of the firm. And do you think that's, that's the point? Is that him sort of, well, I mean, in essence, sticking his fingers up to the establishment in doing such an interview? Yeah, very much so. And that's something he's wanted to do for a long time. I mean, members of the Royal Family do do light entertainment stuff. I mean, if anyone remembers, but Prince William did a, a kind of take on Blackadder as a skit for comic relief last year. But of course, it's all about doing things for charity. Whereas this, of course, was Harry and Meghan launching themselves in America to try and kind of build up a buzz to to kind of enhance these lucrative commercial careers they want so it's a very very different thing it's as someone said to me you know uh, very very well versed in, in in royal circles you know it's the difference between lining your own pockets and and trying to help you know members of the public um so yeah he definitely wouldn't have been able to do something to that extent and i'm very much with richard actually i like there were things that made me really smile about it because i've covered the royals for quite a lot of years and Richard mentions, you know, when Harry raced Usain Bolt, you know, I, I was there um, and, you know, we were all in stitches because Harry was hamming it up and then, you know, pretended to kind of cheated and started ahead of him. He, he was he was absolutely brilliant on occasions like that. And I think we saw a real, you know, uh, harking back to that. But of course, as, as Richard rightly says, you know, the, the parts of the uh, interview when he kind of you know used the toilet of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's house and and did the rap I mean a lot of people I know were kind of asking could they come back out from the under the kitchen table yeah when they were watching it because it, it just it was it was hawking on those royal connections and they promised that they would do nothing that would embarrass the Queen and if this is what they've got to offer you know constantly making jokes about Royals not carrying money. I just don't think that bodes very well for the future. Angela, do you think, though, that this kind of interview, the hamming it up with James Corden, is just much more up his street, Harry, than a, a serious sit down, soul bearing tell all? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think there's still that child in him that likes to be mischievous. And one of the reasons why he loves children and they adore him. I mean, he set up this charity, Centabile, which is an orphanage for children whose parents had died of AIDS. And he said he felt incredibly happy in that environment because they didn't know he was a prince and they could just have unlimited fun together without him being criticised, which is a very interesting comment for somebody about 1819. He did like that childish behaviour. And we saw how it led him astray. You know, when he was... Um, um, at Sandhurst the last night the um, guys were allowed out they had to be in bed by 10 but this was special so he and his protection officers went off to a strip club and <sighs> having a great time at three o'clock in the morning but of course the girls there recognized him and there was a picture in the paper and Harry was furious because he just wanted fun 
And um, he at Eton as well, he told me he wanted to uh, mix with the bad boys. So he was ever playing tricks. He left um, a, a glass of water, plastic glass of water on the top of um, a door. So when the teacher came in, it went all over him. And he also was hiding behind trees when his brother was running a cross country race and he was in front, he was winning. And he shouted at Win uh, William as if he was a fan and he wanted to talk to him and have fun with him. And William stopped looking terrified and was then furious because he lost the race. Runners ran past him. And um, Harry thinks all that's good fun. It's obviously, important to have good fun and I was pleased to see him looking vivacious rather than terrified and gloomy but you have to know when to stop and I think that's a really difficult thing for Harry he just goes over the top it's why he loved the military so much they could have macho uh, conversations and jokes and uh, mock fights and he loves that environment but you need to make us a separation between you being a prince, whether you're an acting prince or you've stepped back or you've stepped down, and actually being a bit of a silly person. <laughs> a silly person, sometimes slightly annoying person by the sound of it, but Richard, I want to ask you this, as, as a journalist, what my first instinct was when I saw the, the James Corden clip was, Oprah must be fuming. <laughs> it's like they spent all this money and, and, and all this build-up in this sit-down with Harry and Meghan and only to be slightly undermined, I would have thought. Um, possibly, but I'm not sure. I, th I think we'll find out on Sunday that it really is a very different type of thing. So I think, you know, as Rebecca suggested, they, they were thinking, how do we promote the commercial projects we've got, which is the big money stuff for Netflix, for Spotify. They've obviously decided to do this with a big tell-all interview with Oprah, which will be very serious. And I'm expecting um, a lot of tears. You know, my goodness, they've extended it to two hours. So, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be pretty heavy stuff, I think. Whereas James Corden was meant to be the sort of light, you know, sort of order before the really heavy stake of the Oprah interview. And I would say, don't forget, of course, that both shows are, are on CBS, so it's the same channel. Um, and, you know, Harry was allowed to shoehorn three references to Netflix in the, in the James Corden piece. Uh, so I, I suspect they'll be feeling it's a job well done. And let's not forget that he promoted Netflix. You know, he was talking about The Crown. We've had so much controversy and anger from friends of the royal family about the misleading nature of the crown. And, and there were calls even from government ministers for disclaimers to be run ahead of the programme. And there was Prince Harry saying, you know what, actually I quite liked it. I preferred it to the papers. So it's very undermining. Um, no opportunity what, missed to lay the boot in. <laughs> Netflix is getting its money worth, believe me. Yeah. So much to cover, so little time. We have indeed reached the end of another episode of Palace Confidential. But as the TV event of the year is happening on Monday night, we will be back with you on Tuesday with our expert panel to dissect every moment of the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan. See you then. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And of course, you can come back next week and join me, Joe Elvin, for more Palace Confidential. Mm -hmm.